This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 13. It's a god of a small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mommy is yelling no and a daddy is told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through a sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the... Hello, welcome to my fanboy Media Explode. My name is Connor Kilpatrick and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi there. And Ron Richards. Hello! And this is the iFanboy Media Explode, our monthly show unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash iFanboy, who unlock the show if we talk about non-comics media. We do our weekly Pick of the Week show, we talk about comics, we do our special edition shows and our talks blows and books blows. But this is our chance to talk about things that aren't related to comic books. It's nice. It's nice to take a break, like a palate cleanser, which is great <laughs> for all of us. We normally start the show with discussing what we've been enjoying on streaming since we last spoke, because... What else is there to do? We're still in lockdown, basically. <laughs> so why don't we start off? I'll start off. All right. Ooh. Go for it. So this past month, I've been watching a lot of Oscar films in anticipation of the Oscars that happened past weekend. So I didn't watch a lot of shows. We paused our Shit's Creek viewing. But what I wanted to highlight was a network show that's also available on Peacock. Ooh. People don't have cable. And it's the Young Rock show. It's the sitcom on NBC created by The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. You're kidding this me. sounds like exactly the kind of thing that Connor would really like. If it wasn't garbage. One camera, 30-minute sitcom about The Rock's life, and it's delightful on many levels. First of all, The Rock is in it. The conceit of the show is kind of dumb. It's that in 2032 or something, The Rock's running for president. And so while he's on the campaign trail, he tells stories of his life. That's the conceit of the show. So this is like everybody hates Chris, but... yes. Randall Park is the interviewer always interviewing him. So the two of them open and close each episode. I'm going to recommend this to you guys for two reasons. Okay. We all love The Rock. Sure. 
the actors playing the rock so you you see you see him in high school you see him as like an eight-year-old and you see him in college everyone playing the rock is terrific and charming the guy playing his dad's amazing do they call him the rock when like when he's eight or no they call him dewey actually dewey yeah his mom calls him dewey but the reason why i'm bringing this up besides the fact that it's it's actually really funny and charming and delightful and the rock is great is that if you know anything about the rock his dad was a professional wrestler and growing up, he hung out with Andre the Giant and Macho Man Randy Savage and Junkyard Dog. And all these guys are characters in the show. Huh. One of the best episodes was the day he had with Andre the Giant when he was eight. And they went around Hawaii where he was living and hung out and went to the movies and went to the beach. So in addition to it being a heartwarming story about this kid growing up with a dad who's kind of a hustler and a mom who's really sweet and a grandmother who ran all of Hawaiian wrestling who's kind of a badass, you also get all these characters from WWF from the 80s in the show. And there's a really great episode where they do a Royal Rumble and they walk you through how they plan it out and who's going to win what and what the move's going to be and how it's going to go. It's a fascinating look at behind the scenes of wrestling and a heartwarming show about this kid who comes up from nothing to eventually be The Rock. And it's actually shockingly really good. The dad character is terrific. The parents are terrific. The guy who plays him in college is really good and gets sort of mannerisms down. I've watched it on a lark. I was like, oh, I love The Rock. I'll just check it out. And it's actually really a really good show. So it's available if you're having, if you have cable, it's on NBC's. But if it's, if you don't have cable, it's on Peacock. And uh, any fan of The Rock needs to check it out. You know, the pilot is okay, but it gets better as it goes as they sort of find its footing. And honestly, the fact that they're all hanging out together, all these wrestlers are from our childhood, is just fascinating to me, you know, as a kid who thought they all hated each other because they were wrestling. But it's just funny to watch them all sort of playing cards at his house. He was friends with all these guys. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's my pick. It's a 30-minute sitcom, one camera. Check it out. It's called Young Rock. The dumbest part of the show is the opening closing where he's running for president. But you can ignore that. They're just softening us up. This guy's going to Ronald Reagan all over our asses. There's actually a lot of conversation about that happening. That sure. he's, he's talking about it. But also Rosario Dawson plays his VP running mate. Oh. It's got a lot of great people in it. And it's really funny. It actually is really funny. His dad is <laughs> terrific. Who's the actor for his dad? I'm sorry. I don't know who the actor is, but he's he's playing his dad who was a wrestler. Okay. He fought all those guys. You know, he was uh, before. This is before WWF. When wrestling was regional. You know, every, there was. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Vince yeah. McMahon owned the New York area and the Rock's grandmother owned Hawaii. And they all have their uh, regions. And that's what they're still doing. Huh. It's really good. It's actually really, really good. All right, then. Cool. It's funny because I'm behind on The Flash because it hasn't been good. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm like, we're up to date and weekly on Grey's Anatomy, which hasn't been good. Isn't it one long death scene? Oh, God. It's just a. Uh... But most recently, I guess what's been enthralled us because we want to get it before it goes off the PBS app has been the uh, Hemingway documentary, yep. the Ken Burns Linovic documentary on the Hemingway. You know, if you're familiar with the Ken Burns documentary au revoir, you know, usually there's. <laughs> wait, like, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was going to let it go. <laughs> what, was, what was that word oof, you just said? Over, over. Um, That's oof. closer. You were closer there. Oh, An oh, armoire. Yeah. Armois, you know that that he'll do like he really really right. long ones like Vietnam or yeah. baseball or whatever, but then they'll do shorter ones in between on like like a dust bowl specific. was three episodes. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so Hemingway is three six hours in total, three uh, two hour episodes about the writer, the you know what some say is the greatest American writer and all that sort of stuff. But I will say that started off really liking it, and then admittedly I still have an hour left to go with the last part. But I don't know if it's because the shorter format. Or because of the people that they have on it, but like I'm kind of 
closing it out with like, oh, I'm not loving this because I just feel like it's very surfacey and very top level when I want to get a little more meaty, you know, like I want to. Well, I've watched more. episode one. I really liked episode one. I haven't watched the other two yet. Episode one and like and like three quarters of episode two are great. But then as he gets older, it just feels like they, they hit the fast forward button. I don't know. It just seemed, you know, so maybe they didn't have anything to say about him at that point. There's a lot. No, there's a lot, okay. a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like um, Hemingway? Like as a writer, do you like Hemingway books? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Hemingway acolyte, but I, I, I've read all the books and, you know, and, and that sort of thing, but yeah. Honor? Like yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh. Yeah. I don't like it. I love the old man. See, yeah. I'm really looking forward to reading the sun also rises. I really yeah. want to read that one. I love his style. He's a fascinating American character. Yeah. Fascinating. Sure. Yep. And they reveal all kinds of things just in the first episode about his, life that makes so much sense but you just didn't realize um i also love a movable feast i love that book my favorite moment was when he married his third wife gellhorn he was 41 she was 32 and the photo of him at 41 just for all you listening we're 44 now right so we were older than him at that point and he looked 15 years older than how (laughs) i look now so it's just like (laughs) he went to war he went to several wars yeah no exactly bullfighting I really like the first episode. I don't love Jeff Daniels as Hemingway. I love Jeff Daniels. I love I, Jeff Daniels, but I don't. I don't know if his voice matches his matches his matches so, Hemingway's voice. But sometimes it's like too much. That's Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I like it. I, it's because it, a lot of it. Uh, they use Jeff Daniels not as the voice of Hemingway, but as the voice of Hemingway's writing. Right. So right. It's a Ken Burns documentary. Reading and reading his books. I don't love his yeah. voice as Hemingway's yeah. voice, but other than that, yeah, I think I like it's it. what I've seen. I've really enjoyed. I'm looking forward to more of it. Yeah. Josh, even if you don't like the writing, I think it's a it's a really incredible documentary. At least what yeah, I watched. I think the first one. I just haven't. I'm listen. I'm a contributing member. I'll have access to it for a bit. I'm going to get through it. Going to be fine. I was flipping through the streaming areas trying to find something to watch and i saw this still frame of ron livingston on a mm. show called louder milk i was like well what's this is on amazon prime and it was a series that was a sitcom uh on the, on the network audience and you could check if you had audience you probably wouldn't know if you did but you don't anymore yep the starring ron livingston is uh produced by peter ferrelli one of the ferrellis and and another producer uh bobby mort who is a colbert reporter writer it takes place in seattle he is an alcoholic who runs a group of a you know like a group meeting for alcoholics at a church and he's super crabby like if you think of um paul rudd in role models it's like that but about three times more crabby and you know before his alcoholic downfall you know he was a music critic so like in the 90s in Seattle. So he's a huge snob and he wrote a book. He's really grouchy. And it, it and at first, you know, it's kind of a gag. And then throughout the first season, you know, as it, it keeps going, a lot of heart shows up. And it's still really funny. Like it's a Ferrelli. There's a ton of differently abled actors in it because that's a Ferrelli thing. But really wonderful actors who you wouldn't get to see in anything else. There's a really great drama that happens with the sort of the three leads, uh, his roommate and this other girl who he's basically been hired to try to get sober. And it, it develops over time. The cast of people at the in the meeting, the regulars of the meeting, are really funny. Brian Regan, a stand-up comedian, is one of them. Another comedian named Jackie Flynn is one of them. I burned through two full seasons, which is all that exists, on Amazon. And I guess they're picking it up to put another, a third season on at some point, which I was really happy about. Ron Livingston is the best. He's great. He's so good. And he can do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, it, he can be really crabby or really sweet or, you know, whatever. And, like, he has the best eyebrows in the business. And, and it was really, it was a little, like, 
Lou Nixon living in a different time yeah. period after everything's fallen apart. Really funny. Like I burned through it. I was really. I actually thought that the third season was already still on Amazon, so I was bummed out when I, I found that it wasn't. But uh, great show. There was like a period of time when this came out. They were doing like crabby protagonists on small cable networks, like Brockmire. With the Hank Azaria show came out at the same time. I had that same thought about Brockmire. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. That was kind of the. Design, I don't know who guys. ran that, but you know, this script is just way more right up my alley. Right. It's one of those, you know, like everything about the sort of main elements was fantastic. And it's you know, it's just a, a straight up single camera sitcom. He is great. He's so good. L- Lou Nixon and Band of Brothers was also crabby. Like he's kind of that's his kind of thing. And even this, this character in Swingers was crabby. Yeah, uh, yeah, he has that face. He was hopeful. He hadn't been he hadn't been beaten yet. But also, just like he's a little older now, and he he, really he just been Hamlet. Now he's goofy. He was a little crabby. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. I think if you like the kinds of things that I guy do, and I'm almost sure that you will not have heard of it. It really bugs me to think that how many like great things that are just buried in the avalanche that we're just never going to find. But I'm glad he did. Did it have to be goofy? <laughs> Those are the things we've been watching. But mostly, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was catching up on the Oscar films. We talked about this last month. You know, We talked about the, the Oscars year and the nominees because the nominees had just come out. And Ron had watched the most out of three of us. Yep. So between that show and this show and the Oscars, I watched all of the Best Picture nominees and a bunch of the other nominees that weren't nominated for Best Picture as well. So I really went on a tear and watched everything. So I thought what we should do is pretend like we were Oscar voters and rank them because that's how the Oscar voters work now for the best picture. They, they rank voting, which is why things often go haywire. Obviously, at the Oscars this past weekend, Nomadland won the award for best picture. But let's pretend like we had to have vote. I'm very curious to see. This is not who you thought would win. We did that in our pool. But Ron, Josh, if you were a voter, how would you have voted for the Academy Award for best picture? That's what I want to do here for this exercise. What is our ranking from bottom up then? Right. right. From one, so two, like three, if you were, if you had your ballot in front of you and you have I these numbers. I should recuse myself because in that time, I've watched no more of these movies. I watched all of them. I, I, you just said that. I know. I know. I'm just yeah. reiterating it. I, I went on because at the time I'd only watched two. I wanted to make a point. I, I tried to watch all of the Best Picture nominees. I've seen four of them. Which four have you seen? Twice. I saw Trial of Chicago 7, Sound of Metal. Mank and Judas and the Black Messiah. That's what I've seen. Okay, so of those four, which was your favorite? Which would you vote for? I didn't love any of them. Okay, I know. But which would you uh, vote for? Us? If you had to, you were in the Academy. I'd go with Judas and the Black Messiah first. Okay. And then what would be two and three or four? Mank, Trial of the Chicago 7, Sound of Metal. Okay. It's a weird year. We talked about it last time, but all these movies I think are flawed in certain ways. They're all entertaining in certain ways. They're all great in certain ways, but... Uh, Sound of Metal, I thought, was uh, three-quarters of a really great movie. And, and, you know, like, uh, I mean, I think that the one that I've thought about the most is Judas and the Black Messiah. That's the one that has stuck with me the most. That's the one that when I, you know, I'm trying to... It's a little... I don't want to discuss all these films, but my take on it was I don't think the casting worked in its favor. We talk about a lot of these films, like actors playing way older, like the Charles Chicago 7 actors and Mank. You know, Gerald 20 years older than Mankiewicz. But... The two guys in Judas and the Black Messiah are 17 and 20. Yeah, I, I, I read that later. In the beginning of the film, when, they, when there's the crime that Stanfield's character pulls off that gets him in trouble with the FBI, that his hat falls off. They're like, oh, it's just a kid. does like, well, it's not a kid. He's fucking 35. I think it's more tragic if the FBI murders a 20-year-old than murders 
a 35 year old. It's, it's tragic either way, but I felt like it would have been more sure. powerful if they'd cast a younger person because it would have made it all the more awful that the FBI assassinated mm-hmm. a 20 year old kid. Well, they do that though, and the movie doesn't get seen. I know that. It I, get the business of it. I mean, I know you do. I'm just... Ron, let's uh, rank your. Let's say you're a voter. You you see you saw six or seven or was it seven? I saw them all except for the father. There's eight. There's eight films. Which yeah. So which after seeing the trailer and clips of the father during the Globes, my wife and I were like, ah, we'll opt out of that one. Uh, we talked about this on the patron hangout. Josh and I talked about this. The the Alzheimer's movies are just they're just hard to swallow. They're hard. Mm-hmm. They're, yep. they're they're challenging. So I did not watch that one. So that will be. I'll rank that at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I would probably so then seven, I would probably put Judas and the Black Messiah seventh place. Yeah. Hmm. Then sixth, I'd probably put Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Fifth, I'd probably go Minari, mm-hmm. which I thought was beautiful and and I really liked, but still it's it's tough. Bummer. Fourth. I would go promising. I go trial the Chicago Seven. Third, I go promising young woman. Second, Mank, and first, uh, Nomadland. Okay, it's interesting to me because again, I watched a ton. I watched all these Best Picture nominees, and I watched a ton of the other ones. And two of my three favorite films aren't even nominated for Best Picture. And those are One Night in Miami and Another Round. I didn't think One Night in Miami was very good, to be honest. I thought it was terrific. I thought it was my. I thought my I started to watch it and got bored. I thought it was okay. You know, I, and the thing is, is that like I know it's a theater adapted into film, but like it was rough for me. I thought I loved it. My best picture of the year was another round. My second best picture was One Night in Miami. My third best picture, which would be number one on my ballot, would be The Father. Wow, it's incredible. Yeah, it's really incredible. Like I didn't want to watch it for the same reason you guys didn't want to watch it. The article about Alzheimer's and sleep that came out a week after I watched it and me being go- going through a period of insomnia at the same time didn't help my mental state, but it blew away every other movie. It's a, it's a complete film in a way that most of these other nominees are not complete films. So, t- so spoiler, you know, tell me why. Like, because I, I, I'm not going to watch it, but like, what am I missing out on? I think Anthony Hopkins blows away every other actor in the nominee. I think, I think Chadwick Boseman was incredible in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but the range of emotion that Anthony Hopkins plays, in, even in one scene, there's a scene where he plays the most charming man you've ever met to a man devolving into dementia all in one scene. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And then they play with the physical idea of dementia with the actors and the sets. Like, they keep changing. The oh, actors geez. keep changing. I can't watch that. Like, I literally, like, even you just talking about them changing, I'm like, nope. Like his 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 apartment changes the way it looks. The actor who plays his daughter keeps changing. This reminds me of when Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out, and I like I love that movie and was raving about it. And I was friends with someone who's bipolar, and she was like, "Yeah, no, I can't do it. Sorry." Totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, totally. To me, yeah, as yeah. a cinematic piece, it was head and shoulders above everything else I watched this this year. Right. And I was surprised. I was I was really surprised. It was the last one I watched. I was I very reluctantly watched it. Fascinating. So if I'm ranking these actual nominees, it's The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Mank, Sound of Metal, Child Shadow 7. That would be my ranking if I was ranking the... So to, to pull back around, last time there had been a discussion about Nomadland mm-hmm. where Ron was like, no, you really got to see it, and, and you had preconceptions about it. So how did that end up? I totally vindicated myself. These movies are all bummers. They're all, every single movie I watched this year was a bummer, which is why I loved Another Round so much, because it wasn't a bummer. Uh-huh. 
Yep. All the best picture nominees are, are bummers, super bummers. Mm-hmm. And they're great, as I said at the last episode. They're all going to be well-made, beautiful films, but at the end mm-hmm. of the movie, they're all depressing. That really has a lot to do with why I didn't spend any time watching them because I just like I was like I, I just I, I don't want it now. Which is which is I think really weird. I, so maybe next year you'll see that sort of zeitgeisty thing because these weren't made, you know, prior to the pandemic when it no, was, yeah, exactly. No. You know, they were they were like they didn't know we were going to be all depressed. No, 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 right. not at all. But I, I would recommend another round. It's it's an uplifting film that has sadness in it for sure, but it has has a lot of joy in it, and doesn't make you feel bad at, about yourself in the world after it's over like all the other films did. <laughs> it was easily my favorite film of the year. So there you go. Yeah. All so right. if, if so, Ron's favorite film of the year was Nomadland. Yep. Josh, your favorite film of the year was. I don't even know what my favorite film of the year is. Of the nominees. Of the nominees. Honestly, I would tell you I don't have one. But if you had to, go into your head. You had to pick a favorite. Trial of Chicago Seven. Okay. My favorite of the nominees was The Father. My favorite of the year was Another Round. It was a weird year. I couldn't even tell you what movies I've seen. Like I like they didn't make an impact. Palm Springs. No. That's not. That's not an Oscar film though. It could still that was be my favorite, favorite, talking my favorite about movie of the year. Yeah, yeah. My favorite, favorite movie I saw this year was when I saw Raiders in the theater. That was my favorite movie of the year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that's a good segue to our next segment. Great segue. Yeah. In which we were talking about what we were going to do, and Ron said, I want to talk about fan service. Well, yeah. Well, so I wanted to share the fact that I, uh, following in Josh's footsteps, I rented a theater a couple weeks ago and took my wife out to go see Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Which is my favorite of the Indiana Jones trilogy. It's my favorite as well. Great name, but dog, Junior. Because there's only three films in the Indiana Jones uh, library. Um, One so Jaws. Three exactly. Indiana Jones movies. Exactly. So when I saw that AMC had made that available as part of the same program that, that Josh, you saw Raiders in, we jumped at it because it's also um, a longtime favorite movie of both me and my wife. We actually used to watch it on New Year's Eve in high school and in college. Like instead of going out, we would stay in and we make cookies and we'd watch the Indiana Jones Last Crusade like it was a thing. So like – that's adorable. It's, it's, it's got some emotional resonance for us. And so it, it was great. It was awesome. And as I'm watching it, as we're talking about it on the way home, and we're kind of like, it's been a while since we've both seen it. it. She had never seen it in the theater. I saw it when it came out in 1989 in the theater at the Comac Multiplex on Long Island. Um, I remember going My to see it. My favorite part is that all of your movie memories include a complete des- exact description of which theater you saw them at every time. Yeah, sure, yeah. It? It's part of the re- it's part of the experience, Connor. Do you, I saw it a few years ago at a revival theater in LA. They were showing it. It's probably the well, what's all, what's interesting to me is that you do that is because like where I grew up, there was a movie theater. Yeah, that's where I saw all the movies. <laughs> like, there was no choice. So it's been a while since since we had seen it together, and much less in the big screen. So we're we're analyzing on the car car ride home, and. It dawned on me and realized, and Josh Connor, I feel like we've talked about this before in the past, but I feel like given the Marvel movies and given so many of the kind of nerd genre movies that have come out in the last 20 years, you know, whenever there's a bit of fan service or a bit of, you know, kind of nod to the people in the audience who are in the know, that generally has been frowned upon by us, where it's like grown, it was too much fan service or blah, 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 or whatever, you know? Should we we define this? Sure, yeah. How would you define fan service? I mean, I think you're, it's, it's almost like a, it's a postmodern wink yeah. to a portion of the audience about something that is related to the area of interest of the thing or might be the, like the director's preference of a thing, you know, so. I think you were almost there and then you veered off. I think fan service yeah. is about is it winking to the audience who knows about either the backstory or the f- source material or it's, it's a wink to the audience. 
or yeah yeah or, 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 like or the, it's or well because the, the, the thing the thing that got me was that like so we, we universally disliked the solo movie right and no, no josh loved it oh that's bizarre that Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, revisionist history. It's awful. But anyway, I didn't say it was um, good. I said it was really fun. But I, Josh, you have to agree that the, the moments of fan service in that film were Terrible. were groan inducing. Right. Exactly. Uh, including how Han Solo Han gets his last name. Right. Like that whole thing. And then I'm sitting in there watching the Jones Last Crusade, and it's the beginning opening scene where River Phoenix plays Young Indy, um, which became its own franchise in its own right. And he's on the circus train. He's trying to get away from the robbers, the cross of Coronado, yada, yada. And he falls into the lion train car, and he grabs the whip to kind of keep the, the lion at bay. And he does the first whip, and it snaps back, and it draws blood on his chin, which explains why Harrison Ford or Indy has a scar on his chin. Right. And I was like, why is this okay? What do you mean? Because it made you feel good. Right. Like, cause like it, at that, cause I remember when that happened in 1989, we're like, Oh my God, it explained the scar. And like, and like, it, I remember, I remember looking back on it fondly as like a good thing. And then like when they're in Venice going to find the, the Knight's tomb and uh, there's cave drawings in the, in the catacombs and there's a drawing of the Ark of the Covenant. And she's like, what's that? He's like the Ark of the Covenant. And she's like, how do you know? He's like, I'm oh, pretty sure. Right. And it's like, I remember thinking about that, like, Oh, he's referencing the other movie and like that, whatever. And like, well, I just see that as like a, as a like so my, my the question I have for you guys that if, if Indiana Jones last Crusade came out today and did those two things, would we be as overly sensitive to it as we were when Solo did it? Or is well, it just because they did it more? I don't know if you can count, count Harrison Ford's scar being the same thing as fan service. That's fan think, explaining the scar is fan service. That is I mean it's the same thing as explaining Han Solo, like giving Han Solo's last name. It's the exact same thing. I don't know. If that's I don't know true. that I agree. I don't agree with that. Because a couple of things. You have to qualify it with it. A, there's a fuck ton of water under the bridge from 1989 to now sure. in terms of what yeah. you've seen, what we've seen happen in, in pop culture. Pop culture being self referential and being postmodern became yeah. the thing. And at a certain point, that was a much newer thing. You know, yeah. that, you know in 89, there was no internet. You know, right. there was there was nods and winks. And then there's the level of sort of like you can't look at something as a 35 year old the way you look at something as a 12 year old. It's not going to make you feel like that. Right. So your tolerance will have changed for various reasons. So it's difficult to say, but I think it's a little bit of who who the audience is in mind for that kind of thing. Now, what you're just describing in the Indiana Jones movie is a moment that isn't explained. It isn't talked about. He picks up a thing. He doesn't turn he, to the camera and wink at it. Exactly. And it's, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm going at. Whereas in Han Solo, it was like, Solo. Yeah. You know, like it was. They made a big deal of it. They drew it out. Dumb. And right. it, it, also, it also wasn't good. Like it was a stupid reason to have it. Like the thing where he's a kid and he's doing a thing that's like he's going to do later, later. And he falls and he picks up a whip because it happens to be there. And then he gets himself, you know isn't like what was it like i I forget what the joke was in it was a hacky joke in the solo movie it was a bullshit hacky joke so that has a lot to do with it i think it's not just i mean at the end of the day it's like everything else like how how successful is the execution of it right like if it's a good joke or a good wink and nod then fine i I mean i don't necessarily hate fan service as i get I, i think ron you've gotten it sounds like you've gotten more militant against it as you've gotten older. I've gotten more blasé about it. 
Well, it depends on it because it just depends said, on how well it's executed. That's all. When we were yeah. talking about the Falcon and Winter Soldier on the on the hangout, you were like, "Oh my god, it was it was Wolverine's bar." You know, like that's fan service. You oh, like for it. sure, it yeah, for sure, shit. yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, Easter egg fan service. I don't know what where that fall where that falls. Well, what about like in the Phantom Menace, where like in Watto's junkyard, there's the 2001 ship? Or well, you can't. Or what about what about, what about the on it though? In Force Awakens, when Finn is in the Falcon looking for things, and he takes out the training remote and throws it. Right. I love that. I'm yeah, totally I, I, fine I, with I that grow. because it was subtle. It I depends grow. on how much, like, I think it depends on how much you linger on it. Like, that's something is, yeah. is, is, is in passing, and if you know, you know, and if you don't know, it doesn't matter. It, 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 the solo thing stands out because it's a scene that okay. you can't get past, whereas that ship from the video game that's in the, one of the special edition of Star Wars films is in the background. If you don't know that, then it's just a ship in the background, but if you do, then it's right. there, and that's okay. Yeah, but, it, so but if you think that, in The Mandalorian, that, that, they had a guy running around, service. somebody with the, in The yeah. Mandalorian, they had the ice cream maker. And you yeah. love that. Yeah. And so, like, it's so fucking subjective. Yeah. It's like, you don't, you know, you don't like certain kinds of jokes because, you know, like, that was a dumb joke, but that's because that's not your kind of joke. Yeah, I just you know, find it, fa- I just find it fascinating at, the, at, like, what makes, what, what, why one gets cleared and, the other, and another one doesn't. I mean, that's like saying, how come some songs are okay? Yeah. The both instances you referenced from Indiana Jones, I, I'm fine with because... The Ark of the Covenant reference, it's in passing. He's going down this tunnel. They don't stop and linger on it. And also, it's closing the loop on the story. Like, it starts with the Ark yeah. of the Covenant and it ends with the third film, I guess, whatever. And they're closing the loop on it, you know? So I, I don't I don't mind that, necessarily. There's a lot of referential stuff in that film. You know, him going back to his classroom in the third film and the girls acting the same way they did in the first film is also a reference to the first film. Sure, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the fact that... God, I want to watch Indy now. I feel bad for his students. Well, yeah, he is never there. The TA's teaching all the time. Never there. I mean, they're That's all waiting. They're all waiting. They're all waiting in his office, and he climbs out the window. How long did they stay before they realized that he was gone? He also says very specifically, X never marks the spot. And clearly, yes. Indy knows that's not true. So he lied to them. <laughs> they had nothing else to do then, though. That's true. Yeah. It was the 30s. It was the 30s. There was <laughs> nothing going on. <laughs> just go to school or plow the fields. Can, yep. can, can I just say how much I love that movie? Oh, oh, that movie is so Raiders good. is a better film, quote unquote, from yeah. like objective standpoints. But movie, yeah. Last Crusade is my favorite. Like I will watch The Last Crusade at any yeah. moment of any time. Yeah. Great Sean Connery. Oh, it's so good. I got to say, like, the thing that struck us the most from it was how well Sean Connery and Harrison Ford nailed the parent-child relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and also with a older parent and a middle-aged child. And it's funny because I feel like every time I watch that movie, there's a different moment that makes me laugh for different, you know, for whatever it is. And for some reason, I just laughed out loud we're the only people in the theater so i could but when they're escaping from castle grunwald and they get through the hole the fire and the nazis and blah blah blah, and they run outside and indy turns on the motorboats and and, and, (laughs) i can't even talk about it and sean connery gives him his bag and he and indy throws the bag back at him and then he indy goes off to get the motorcycle and sean connery just goes but what about the boat like, I thought we were going on the boat. Like, I just, it's such a, like, the his dad doesn't know what he's doing, and he's trying to keep up. And it's just like that, like, gap between being in the moment and dealing with your older parent was just great. And, like, the time, like, when they're on the motorcycle, and it's, they finish the fight, and Sean Connery just pissed off. 
and he's like setting his watch and like doing that pursed lip look at him. Like they just nailed that so well. And it was so like they used humor in a way that balanced out the, the gravity of the chase for the grail and the Nazis and all this sort of stuff. It's such a, it's such a great balance between action and humor. Like so good. So, so good to get back to the original point, <laughs> Josh, you're very, usually very anti that kind of thing. Anti fan service, anti winks and nods. You normally hate that stuff. Have you mellowed over the years? No, I think it all has to do with how it's done. Like, I think how subtle something is, how interesting something is, how hacky it's done. Like, there's definitely, I think some things are, you know what, I'm having a hard time because I really can't think of examples right now, so it makes it a little harder. But I think it always has to do with how subtle something is. Like, if something's really big or just an obvious, you know, ploy or, you know, it's just a thing where you can show the audience something and they, it all makes them remember something from when they were kids of all, yeah, as opposed to, you know, like a smaller thing that maybe not many people are going to grab onto. So if you're talking about the, the ice cream maker in the Mandalorian versus like a moment in a Transformers movie, you know, that's dumber. I really, and, and that's because I have a pretty finely tuned sense of what I think is clever and what isn't. And it's, utterly subjective and i know that I, I, you know like the things that things that make me happy in movies don't tend to happen so much in in the in newer stuff that's made which is i think one of the reasons that we all gravitated so much towards the mandalorian when it came out was because they got it just right you know i think it's part of the problem is i think if you look at star wars let's take star wars as an example so on one end of the spectrum you have the mandalorian other in the spectrum you have the prequels mm-hmm I feel like mm-hmm. the prequels were just an extended wink and nod. You know, we spent a lot of yeah. time lingering on things. You know, go back even further to the special editions and Boba Fett basically stopping and looking at the camera like Jim Halpert in The Office. Yeah. That's bad fan service as opposed to yeah. things that happen that don't affect the story, don't slow it down, don't take you out of it. But if you recognize it, that's yeah. great. If not, that's fine too. I mean, there's the idea of like trying to explain things that happened that don't need explanation. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's a fan. Yeah. There's all sorts of ways that could go wrong in The Last Crusade, I suppose, but it worked in that. Whereas, you know, the, the prequels were largely about that. And it yep. was like, why are we sitting through this? I don't care. It's all about explaining things. It was all about having the moment where you could be like, oh my God, that's C3PO. But it wasn't very satisfying because it was just from out of nowhere. It, had, right. it wasn't organic. It wasn't clever it wasn't anything it was just like look c3po is here it's like you know those things where who made know, him it was like on old tv shows where they would just have a random celebrity on mm-hmm. you know and it, we're we all supposed to know and it wasn't cool or you know it's like art carney yeah something like that it's like, or, or b arthur kind of, yeah <laughs> um you know it, it is the way that like it happens a lot now i think because so many movies will like have a celebrity cameo you know, and, and people playing themselves and, and do and it's just like that having the moment where everybody recognizes something together and having it being a real big thing. It's a very different thing than a check out this really cool little thing that happened. Look at the, I keep going back to it, but look at the look at the Will Road ice cream maker. You yeah. know, that 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 is a thing that flashes by in the background and three percent of people who watched Star Wars are going to get that. And it's not like, look how cool we are because we knew about this thing because, trust me, we're not cool. It is not cool to know about Will Rohood and the ice cream maker, but it is a little <laughs> thing where, you know, like, if you take Star Wars, uh, here we go. For a long time, it was uh, it was an art thing. There was, there was a few of us left who gave a shit anymore, and I know it was yeah. the biggest movie on Earth, but at a certain point, like, nobody cared anymore. No, it was we not. In, in, it 19, in 1992, it was right. not cool. Like, I got made fun of. Like, right, exactly. I, I, yeah. And now, 
you know, everybody's got it and it's fine. But everyone's probably like, oh, there's a little thing there for people like me. And that, you know, that's something. People like having their their things validated. You like having a reference. Like, I know that thing. People like feeling uh, like they're there on the inside and they get the thing yeah. that no one else gets. They like it. I like it. No, you're absolutely right. But I, I do think there's also just an element of it. Uh, you know, it, it just gives you a feeling that you had once. Yeah. You know, that, that somebody's saying, I, you know, I understand you. And it's not, we all understand you because I have a hard time with that. But like, it's just like, hey, you guys over here, check this. Okay. And we, we move along. It's like they're just flashing a little thing at you. The thing, the, the, the difficult thing is that fan service can be identified in a very wide swath. Like, theoretically, yeah. in Falcon and Soldier, the very fact that they went to Madripoor could be considered fan service, you know, by some people. It's, it's, it's just I mean, hard. In a, yeah. in a way, having John Walker in there, I was like, that's fan. I mean, like, you have to, I mean, almost all of WandaVision, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, it's some hardcore Marvel fan service, and, and it could fall on its face, face really easily. Except when it doesn't, right? When it works, it works, right? It Indiana really Jones. Is, it really is that. Yeah, and I think as your aesthetic gets more finely tuned about the things you like and the things you don't, and for me, like as sort of entertainment culture ch- changes, you know what it is and how it presents itself, then less of it feels meaningful to me. So when something does, it's like, oh, that's great. That makes me feel good. Yeah, I think it just comes back to what Josh said and what we all think. I think is that eventually, it's just fan service can't be the focus. Mm-hmm. And it, and if it's done well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The most successful fan service is something that you and I recognize, but the person who doesn't know doesn't recognize. But it doesn't take away from their enjoyment of the film or the TV right. show or whatever. That's the most right. that's the most successful fan service. I don't hate fan service. I get a goofy charge off of things that I recognize from something. Yeah, it just gotta be. It just gotta be good, and it can't be forced. You know, like I, I, I go back to the solo thing. I go back to you know, like, like also like the the Imperial March being used as the the recruitment video in Solo, like that, like that 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 just broke no, my was, head. There know? was dumb shit in there. I yeah. think the thing that I, I mean, the, the, like the thing that I kind of liked about that movie that was that a I just thought it was going to be absolutely fucking terrible, and it turns yeah. out that like the actors in it were pretty good. Yeah. You know, doing a thing, and then it was kind of a heist movie, and I was like, all right. You know, that could be, it's, you know, it's no prequel. It, right. It's at least, at least something to watch. Yeah. Josh, I, I haven't heard your ranking of all Star Wars movies in a while. Well, it's somewhere <laughs> on an episode of uh, Star Wars Minute. You can go look that up. I'm sure I had to do it the last time I was there. No, they, did, they didn't make you do it in this, this round, which I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked by Well, it, so. just go back to the, they definitely made me do it in the last one. So, <laughs> so, for the, so you should watch the, uh, the Force Awakens one. It'll be in that one. Where yeah. do you put Solo? So we, we all know that for you, the original trilogy is at the top. Sure. And then where do you put Solo? Where does it end up? Just in general. I mean, it's not high, but it's probably... Where do you put it in relation to the, to, the, to the new trilogy? Hmm. Just give us your ranking. It's hard, because I don't know that I've, I've thought about it very much since then, but I haven't seen any of them more than one. So we'll go for recent. We'll say Force Awakens, Rogue One, Solo... Sith one and then Last Jedi. How's that? The Sith one. Yeah, the uh, Revenge of the, the Sith. Revenge, Revenge of the what is it called? No, that's the third. That's the third prequel. Rise of Skywalker. There you go. There's a lot of Palpatine in that Sith. I don't know. That's how much I think about them, which is fine. Like, it's not you know, it's a little like you know, they're fun. It's not my Star Wars. I don't really give. A You're shit much more blasé about this as you've gotten older, which I think is great. Yeah. Because if we did this yeah. discussion 10 years ago, you would have been like, all fans ever is terrible. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Which is fine. I think it's great. I think that one of the things that happened over that time is that as we are... You realize the, the unimpeachable approach of death and there's nothing you can do about it, so might as well not get upset about fan service. I just spent a lot of time around annoying nerds, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be like that." No, I think that like when we were, you know, sort of getting into college, you had you had Kevin Smith come along, yeah. And and at the same time, you have that postmodern period, the Kevin Williamson, and you know, doing a thing that was kind of clever for people was like yeah. new. And yeah. then it got to the point where like making the reference itself was the same as being clever, and it's and that not. was the second wave. The first right. wave was yes. Kevin Williamson made a great film and screen uh, wrote a great film and scream. Yeah. yeah. That was self-referential and, and, and postmodern referencing other old films, but it was a great film in and of itself. The second yes. wave was just about referencing. Yes. Yeah. They lost the first part. They lo- like the cure for cancer. They lost the idea that you still got to make the great film. I had the cure for cancer and I lost it. My, don't, do my, don't do that. Anymore. Aside. If you're listening to this, you know, my wife asked me, she said, what's the, what's your favorite patron power that you've ever given away? And I hadn't, I was like, um, I think it's, if you have lost the cure for cancer, you'll, you'll find it. <laughs> but you have to lose it first. You have to lose it. <laughs> yeah, no, if you're, you're like, hey, I had the cure for cancer. And he's like, I, I got that. I can find it. He's the guy I can find it. <laughs> Wait, can he find it if other people lose it? Anybody no, he has to find it. it. He has to find it, but, but anyone can lose it. Like, I could lose it. Yeah, like, I found it, it, I lose it. I see. Right. I mean, that, that's a, that would be so specific if he had to also lose it. <laughs> That'd be just really difficult to take advantage of. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's it. And we get to this point where now, I see this in real life, people equate, like, saying a joke from yeah. something with being funny. And it's not the same thing. Well, I, I don't want to be old man, old man River. But I'll do it. Yeah. I think that what you're seeing now is, like, an app like TikTok exists entirely yes. to repurpose old material. Like, it seems like... It's yeah. all remixing. It's all lip syncing. You know, it's it's all like I'm going to put a spin on this old thing. It's not creating a new thing, and so I think the culture is headed into like this yes. Ouroboros of eating its own cultural tail. That yeah. is the finest bit of vocabulary you have used in I don't know how. And long I've had like five mai tais. The thing is, yeah. like, this is me at a bar, by the way. If everyone wants to know, I don't like at a bar. The studio system in Hollywood isn't combating that. It's just re, it's just reusing yeah. old IP because that's the thing they can bank on. So we're yeah. in this cultural moment where between every show from the 80s and 90s coming back and everyone on TikTok just repurposing old material that we're, we're almost in this world where there's no – it's all fan service now. Yeah, it's I mean, and, and the thing is, like, most of it is going to be garbage, but then occasionally, like, oh, that Cobra Kai show is surprisingly good. Right. You know, yeah. and it just, it, when it works, it works. It has to do with approach and technique and aesthetic and, and everything, but so much of it is just like, look, guys, it's Optimus Prime. Right. Huh? <laughs> Which actually has to do something. Like, you have to actually make it good. It can't just be, it's not enough to just say, hey, look at this. Look at that guy over there. You remember I mean, that like, guy from uh, when you were a kid? Community was a show, I think, that really yes. tread that line. You know, like, they referenced a lot of stuff. And whereas, whereas like, the reason that I don't like Jimmy Fallon is because his show is like, remember this thing you used to like? Right. Remember it? And, then, you know, that's it. Whereas, like, Community was doing that, but in a really clever and interesting way. And it, you didn't feel like you were being pandered to as much as there was a take on something that was interesting that you hadn't thought about in a long time. I don't know. It, it, it's very nitpicky. Like, what works in one thing doesn't work for another, and who knows? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. 
good call out, Ron, from your phone. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely got me thinking and what works and what doesn't work and all that stuff. But just whatever you do, go revisit Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because it's a good time. So and Raiders. You know and what? Raiders. You probably have a damn good time at Temple of the Doom. I enjoy Temple uh, of Doom. It was on the other day. It's still super fun. Temple of I, Doom, I have lots of issues with. I have lots yeah, of issues I, with. I think when I was a kid, the bugs freaked me out, and I never really gave it a fair chance. Yeah, no, the, 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 it was very violent for a young... It's for dark. A, a it's the first piece of 13 It's dark. Kate Capshaw, I have issues with. Club Obi-Wan. There's fan service. Yeah. So we thought we'd end the show with an email, which is going to be right in our wheelhouse. It's from Stephen B., and he writes and says... Oh, he's from Maryland. Stephen B. from Maryland says, Can I get your hot take on HBO's Vinyl? Ah. Ooh. Which was a show that ran on HBO that we all loved. It ran for one season. It was executive produced by Martin Scorsese. And everyone oh, had... Wow. It, did he direct the first episode? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yep. He directed the first episode. It was Scorsese, and I think it was also Mick Jagger. Like yep. It was a high pedigree mm-hmm. in the music business. It was created by Mick Jagger, Martin Scorsese, Rich Cohen, and Terrence Winter. And he ran in, in oh, 2016. Uh, it new. was after Boardwalk Empire. We were very excited for it. It came out to much fanfare. Great Ray Romano. Lasted only oh. for one season. Oh. It, it, got, it got renewed, and then it got unrenewed. Yeah. It was a rare thing where after the first episode, they renewed it. HBO renewed it, and then eventually they said, nah, you know what? Never mind. We changed our mind. Yeah. It starred Bobby Cannavale and Olivia Wilde and Ray Romano and Juno Temple. It had a really great cast set in the 1970s in the New York City music scene. And we, we fucking loved that show, the three of us. Yeah, loved it. All three of us. I don't know that I loved it that much more at the end of the season. That's the thing. So I think the hot take is... Bobby Cannavale. Great concept, great potential, and then it steadily declined through the season and crashed. I think it lost its way a little bit. Yep. There's a bit where, Christ, I can't remember his name, the the musician who uh, Bobby Cannavale had the falling out with, and he does the thing where he explains, and I'll never forget it, is he does the thing where he explains the 145 chord in rock music, and he goes through all this different stuff, and it just breaks down all pop music of the last century, and I was like, that's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and there's, you know, there's the introduction of hip-hop in the Bronx, sort yeah. of shows up there, sort of music history stuff, and a, a place in time. Who's the kid supposed to be? The little, the punk rock kid. Other like, than Mick Jagger's kid, yeah. Like, isn't he supposed to like some it's, sort it's, of animal? It's, it's supposed to be in. It's supposed. It's influenced by that moment of you know it's New York Dolls pre CBGB. You know, like there's a moment in music history in like yeah, seventy four, so. seventy five. I mean, this takes place. When was this supposed to take place? It took place in. 1973. 73. Yeah. So it's it's in those years before it. You know it. it you know. AOR, you know what we consider yeah. classic rock is at its is at its height. You know, like Zeppelin and all. Well, the New York Dolls were on the show. Well, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah were early set, were early seventies, Connor. Like, yeah, they, they I know. Were, I'm just saying they, yeah, they, yeah. there were a lot of those characters. Oh, people were the, characters the, on the, the show. Floor falling in, which is the thing that fucking happened. Yeah, that's amazing. Which is what it feels like at Webster Hall at a Bad yeah. Religion show. <laughs> the thing is, the three of us we have our Slack channel now, and at the time, I guess, where did we talk? Was it on Skype? We had whatever channel we discussed. So there's always a show. In 2016, it was vinyl, where every Monday morning, we would just obsessively discuss it in whatever channel we were doing while we were working. You know, previously, it was like Boardwalk Empire before vinyl. But there's always a show, and we all loved vinyl. Yeah. For all of its faults, we loved it. And also, it was the one that had the potential, like, boy, I hope this keeps being good. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like this is all the ingredients. Jack Quaid, uh, who's now on The Boys, was the young AR guy. I, you know, and it had that cool thing where you see a little bit of the mafia involvement in the music mm-hmm. industry at the time, and you know, Bodiedel. Bodiedel was the independent uh, promotion man with possible ties uh, to the organized right. crime industry. Yeah, but you had also a ton of music, like you know, like I said, New York Dolls were characters. Uh, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, like it. It was really living in that early seventies world. Oh, that's terrific. I, I'm, the thing I'm, is, though, I'm I don't remember a heck. I don't think about it a lot. It's not like it. it well, it was ten episodes, me. seven years, yeah. six years ago. I mean, it was the guy who played Lester Grimes. That actor has been in a bunch of stuff since then. I think that, or something else, where I was like, oh, it's him. Oh, he was in. Uh, he was in that Mars show that got canceled. That's where I knew. him. But there was all kinds of things that they just didn't get to explore. I thought Ray Romano's character was interesting. He clearly closeted. Uh-huh. That episode where he falls in love with the singer who was singing the Bowie song at the piano bar. It also uh-huh. featured both. Like, that's a great episode. I still think about that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It had a lot of potential. It just, for whatever reason, it was, it was really expensive. Period pieces are expensive. Music rights are expensive. It clearly just Big didn't. Jagger is a pain in the ass to work with. It didn't uh, <laughs> do what they thought it was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's perhaps too neat. Plus, Terrence Winter left the show in the middle. Yeah, it just it just seems like it it started with such energy and such a great kind of moment and just kind of declined and became formulaic by the end of it. Like, that's what this Like the, Altamount. Yeah. Well, there was no murder at the end of this one. Yeah. Wasn't there? But if if you ask us, I think if you asked us, like, look at all the shows that like got canceled that you're sad about over the years, and we really got to sit down and think about it, I think vinyl would be on all of our lists. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we all really loved it. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. That was a good one. It's, it's funny about those shows like that, that you're, that you're sad they canceled, and so I have, I have an answer. I'd be like, oh, yeah, Terriers. I'd love to see, not counting the movie, but I was like, Deadwood, they could. But, like, I don't remember a damn thing about Terriers other than I really liked it. Right. Because yeah. it's so long ago, it's been a thousand shows since then. Yes. Yeah. But contact at ifanboy.com is where you can write in if you want to ask us questions about an old show or whatever. We'll certainly ramble about it. Anytime. Yeah. Happy to. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you catch us at the right time. doesn't even have to be on the show. Thanks, Stephen. So. We all liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it for sure. 100%. Oh, my God. I yeah. would watch it again. You're talking about a show made for us. It was after Bobby Cannavale's star turn on Boardwalk Empire where he won the Emmy. Getting his own show, we, we loved him. Set in New York in the seventies about the music industry. It was like, yeah, genetically engineer a show for the three of us. That was the show. Ben diagram, yeah, yeah, for sure. So there you go. That's another month of beauty spot. Thanks for the patrons at Patreon.com/slash/fanboy. If you want to support the show, that's the best place to do it. We appreciate everything it does. It unlocks great content like this show, and so we thank you all for joining up and keeping the show going. We appreciate it. Anything else, guys? Any other thoughts? Final thoughts? That's it. All right. Well. You can listen to our Pick of the Week show. It's our weekly Pick of the Week show where Josh and I talk about the week's comics. We have our book splodes, our media splodes, our special edition shows. Ron has his all about Android show. Yep, over on Twitter. Still going. Ten years, decade long, and it's not even the longest show I've been involved with, <laughs> which is you guys. <laughs> I was about to say, are you still involved with the show? And then I realized we were literally recording a show. Do- doing a show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll be back in a month for the next media explode. Who knows what we'll be talking about? We don't know. Sometimes until right before the show. But until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. It's the freakiest show. Take a 